we turn this morning to our uh, series, which we have been going through from the Gospel of Mark. And we continue with the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. But our focus is verses 35 to 45. You recall how in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has been telling us the way that we are to uh, follow him. And he has his way of how he wants us to follow him with respect to marriage and to our children, but also with connection to our wealth and possessions. And today we see it in terms of our relationships with one another. Whom should we honor? And uh, you know, putting others before ourselves. That's really what the, uh, the text of verses 35 to 45 focuses on. And of course, that's rooted in, in Christ giving himself up for us by redeeming us uh, from our sins. So that's our focus this morning. But let's come to God and ask the Lord for his blessing upon his word as we hear it this morning. Blessed Lord, you have given us your word. We pray that we may hear, that we may read and learn and apply your word. May we, through the comfort of your word, embrace the joy of our hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mark chapter 10, 32 through 35. Jesus has already predicted his death and resurrection two times, and now is the third time. Verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. And these are the words we focus on this morning, beginning at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one in your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So I invite you to keep your Bibles open this morning to this passage. We plan to work through it. And uh, our theme this morning is, what is the way of true honor? We, We often talk about honor, but what is the way of true honor? You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a a tendency in us, isn't there, for people, for us to want people to pay attention to us, right? We want others to place us on a pedestal. That's, That's the human tendency. That's the sinful tendency in us. And that's exactly what we see here this afternoon, don't we? Jesus' disciples, especially two of them, two of his inner circle, you could say, James and John, they're looking for rank and position. They're looking for honor. Honor. That's what they're really concerned about here. So why is it? Why is it that People look for honor. It's no different today than it was back then. And yeah, you even see it in the church, right? Those are the things we often struggle with in ourselves. Well, we know that in the beginning, our first parents, who were they? Adam and Eve. They had honor. Creating man and woman in his image, God endowed man. God gave them honor in his creation. Adam didn't have to look for honor. Neither did Eve. They both had it. It's not something to be looked for. God crowned him with glory and honor. Psalm 8 verse 5 makes reference to that. Adam and Eve were living, breathing, complete images of God. Royal kings and queens and in God's creation. Serving and enjoying God, they had the distinguished task of multiplying and having dominion over the creation. Yeah, very much. Kings serving the greater king. Kings and queens having dominion over the creation. The Lord bestowed them with honor. Something happened. And this is where shame comes from. Sin brought shame. Sin brought shame into the world, and all the sadnesses and the miseries about with it. Many of us, all of us, can bear witness to that, I'm sure, in our own lives. And that's because the image of God is now broken in us. And so is our relationship with the Lord. Because of sin, man wants to hide his shame. And he wants to save his honor. That's the, that's the tendency. That's the compulsion in man to hide his shame and to make himself look better than what he really is. He wants to lift himself up. From Mark 10, 35 to 45, we see the Lord Jesus brings salvation from sin. And he offers 
to lift you up through the cross, willing to endure the shame in our place, in your place, in my place. I declare to you God's word this morning from this passage. And this is our theme that he, Jesus, the son of man, he reveals the way of true honor. What's the way of true honor in this kingdom? We see two things here. From verses 35 to 42, we see that it's not in self-serving. Jesus exposes the, the failure of that, the complete failure. It's not in self-serving or in serving of self. We can put it that way too. And second of all, in verses 43 to 45, honor in his kingdom is found in self-giving and giving of, of, of self. And we see that primarily in the Son of Man, Jesus himself, in the giving of self. So not in the serving of self, first of all, but in the giving of self, in the sacrifice of self for others. We see, first of all, in verses 35 to 42, again, you know, I invite you to keep your Bibles open as we work through this passage this morning, this afternoon. You know, last week we heard how the disciples had seen a man with great wealth. Remember the rich young ruler? And he walked away from Jesus in great shame and sadness. He came with a question. He walked away dejected. Why? Because he gave up Jesus. He rejected Jesus. He gave up the offer of his kingdom. He gave up the offer of his treasure, eternal life, and instead, he wanted to keep his wealth. That was the number one thing in his life, was his wealth and his possessions. He could not come. He could not make himself come like a trusting child, totally helpless, with nothing to bring. He could not trust on Jesus for salvation. And thus, he had no share in his honor and in his glory. Now, you would think that the disciples, having witnessed all of this and having heard Jesus speaking to this gentleman, would have maybe learned something from this. But no, they didn't. Oh, they really reflect us, hey, in a lot of ways. Sometimes we, it takes a long time, sometimes before we learn along the way too, but the Lord is so patient. But you see here now two of them, James and John, they're vying for position and for rank. They agree among themselves that they want to be, they want to have that rank, that first rank, the most important rank with Jesus among the disciples. They were brothers. They were sons of Zebedee. And unlike the man with great wealth who asked, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do they ask? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What, what? Did you hear that? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's like asking Jesus to sign a blank check. Jesus, you sign it and we fill in. What a bold request. Do they think they have some sort of an inside track and in, in, in another way to the glory of Jesus? 
But notice Jesus. Notice his question to them. It may surprise us. He doesn't rebuke them. He simply asks them, what do you want me to do for you? Why does he ask that? What do you want me to do for you? Why does he ask that? Well, by asking this question, Jesus uncovers their true motive. What lies behind that question? What it is that they want? And by that question, as we answer too, he uncovers our true motive. How might you answer him? We'll return to that question a little bit later. But notice their self-serving motive comes out in verse 37. Say, Jesus grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in glory. Now there's no doubt that they express their love for Jesus in here. You see something of their faith. You see something of their love. We can't deny that. I mean, they want to be close to Jesus. They want to be close to him in his kingdom and have a share in his glory. By the way, what were they thinking of? They're thinking that they're going to be seated next to him at the banquet table. They're going to be seated with him at the banquet. But they request. But they request for themselves seats of honor, right? Next to Jesus. Seats of honor at the upcoming celebration. They had just heard Jesus' third prediction. It's the third prediction about his coming death and resurrection. But this time, this is the first time that Jesus mentions Jerusalem in his prediction. The former two, he did not mention Jerusalem. Now he mentions the city. And James and John are thinking, this is the city of the great king. This is the city for celebration. They want the best seats at the banquet in his kingdom. But had they heard what Jesus had just said? What is it that Jesus had just said to his disciples just moments before? If you go back to verses 32, 33, and 34, Jesus had told them all the things that would happen to him. He told them that they were going to up to Jerusalem. He says, there the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death. Deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day, he'll rise again. Does that sound like honor? Does that sound like glory? You know, the disciples, you know, sometimes when we hear somebody speak, we don't hear everything that they say, but maybe we hear the things that we like to hear. I think boys and girls, maybe you think, maybe you do that sometimes with parents. Sometimes as adults, we do that. We choose to hear what we want to hear. (laughs) And I think this is probably what's happening here. They're hearing selectively. All they were hearing was Jerusalem. All they were hearing was glory. Oh, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. The fallen throne of David, King David, is now going to be established. It's going to be set up. They're looking for honor. They're looking for honor. But Jesus, he's talking about taking our sin upon himself. He's talking about his willingness to endure our shame. The shame as a result also of our sin. Sin and shame. Disciples didn't understand this. 
They didn't get it. But you see again and again, congregation, how the Lord is so patient with us. Often we hear something from the word and sometimes we don't necessarily get it or we don't understand the complete picture. And you see how the Lord is so patient with us. He's always willing to come back to us and instruct us again and again and again. He loves his people. And you see that here too. But Jesus is going to continue to instruct them so that they may continue to grow and understand. And of course, they need God's grace continually so that they can understand. Jesus promises these men the only thing that can be given. What's the only thing that can be given? Glory? Well, yeah, but he talks about the one thing that can be granted is a share in his cup and his baptism. He's talking about his cup and his baptism. See that in verse 38? Jesus says in verse 38, you don't know what you ask, James and John. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They didn't know. They weren't aware that his cup refers to the cup. What kind of cup? A cup of his suffering for their sin. It would be filled right up and he would drink all of it to the last dregs. You can read about that kind of cup in Isaiah 51. If you have a chance, if you have opportunity, look at Isaiah 51, 17 to 18. There it speaks about the cup of God's fury, or you can say the cup of God's anger. Matthew 26, 39, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays that that cup would be taken away from him. Okay, it's the cup of suffering. And he mentions baptism. Baptism, as you know, is connected with water. But here, Jesus is going to be, he knows he's going to be overwhelmed by the floodwaters of God's judgment. Think of Noah's flood, right? He's going to be overwhelmed by the floodwaters of God's judgment, bearing the shame of his own disciples, of his own people. James and John, when they hear cup, when they hear baptism, they're hearing something different. No doubt. For them, drinking the cup, when they heard that, they're thinking prosperity. They're thinking of joy. Because the Old Testament scriptures also talks about the cup of joy. Think of Psalm 23, verse 5. My, my cup runneth over, or my cup runs over. And there's in the context of the table. Or in Psalm 16, verse 5, it talks about the cup of joy. So that's what they're thinking. They're not thinking a cup of suffering here, but they're thinking of the cup of joy and celebration. And baptism for them was a washing of preparation for the, and they're thinking, for the coming celebration of the kingdom and, and, and the banquet to come. James and John were so unaware. They had not heard Jesus properly. And that's why in their answer to Jesus' question, they say, yeah, we're able we are able to drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism you're baptized with. What does Jesus say? Verse 39 and 40. Jesus says, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand 
is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it is prepared. You know what Jesus is saying? When he says, you will indeed drink the cup, what's he saying? What's he saying to his disciples? Well, what he's not saying is that they're going to drink the cup in the same way as he is. They will not drink the cup in the same way that he will drink the cup. He drinks the cup for us, the cup of suffering for us, and in our place. But the way of honor, what's the way of honor? The way of honor is by submitting to Christ, who will take the cup in our place, who will be baptized in our place, the baptism which refers to the floodwaters of God's judgment. It means, it means submitting to him in repentance and faith by taking up the cross and following him. No, James and John, there are not two levels of following Jesus. There's not an inside track for you, James and John, and another track for all the others. Everyone comes into the kingdom of glory and honor in the same way, and that is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And what that means is that those who trust in Jesus alone for their salvation also share in his cup. They take up the cross. They deny themselves and follow him. And they take up also his baptism. Jesus is saying, this is the way to the table. That's the way to the table at the feast. That's the table of honor. But this is the way, humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves to Christ who suffered and died in our place and that we may walk, that we may trust and follow him, denying ourselves. Verse 41, you can imagine the other disciples who are overhearing all this, they are ticked. They are upset. They are displeased with James and John when they hear this. And this is not because the others thought differently. It's not because that they thought differently. No, they're upset because James and John jumped to the head of the line and got their applications in first. Don't forget, they're also having the same struggle. They're also thinking of their own honor. What about our honor? Where's our seat with Christ? Who do you think you are? You know, they're all concerned, all of them. All of them are concerned about their own honor and self-respect. You know, congregation, here you see the brokenness of God's image in man again, isn't it? That's why the conflict, that's why the jealousy, that's why the quarreling, that's why the posturing for rank and for position, it ends up hurting. It ends up dividing the body of disciples. It ends up destroying. That's a shame. This shows that only one can take that shame, bear that shame in our place. That shame because of our sin. What does Jesus do? You know, he just made that announcement 
concerning the fact that he was going to bear their shame in their place. And he calls the disciples to himself. He gathers them together, calls a meeting, sits down with them, and he has a heart-to-heart talk with them. So patient, our Savior. So understanding. But now is the time for a rebuke. You know, he says, that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over. Lord it over means they look down upon. They want power. They want control. And their great ones exercise authority over them. In the kingdom of the world, among the people of the world, the test of greatness is this. What is it? It's how many people they can control and get to serve them so that people may see how great they are. That's the way of the world. But in Jesus' kingdom, the test of greatness is this. How many people can we serve? How many people can we serve? That's the test of greatness. Two absolutely opposite ways. One is the worldly way of honor. One is the way of honor that Jesus offers. It's the way of life in him. It's the way to the table, the table of honor. Jesus contrasts a self-serving way of the two sons with another way, the true way. And he reveals that way of honor in his kingdom, and that's in giving of self. And that's what we see primarily in the Son of Man himself. Even the name Son of Man, you notice in verse 45, that's a, a name that shows his humiliation, him humbling himself to be a servant, the servant of servants, the slave of all, the son of man. And what Jesus offers is radically opposite to the way of the world that we see around us. He says to his disciples in 43 and 44, look at verses 43 and 44. Yet it shall not be so among you, Whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. What Jesus is saying is that if you want to be great in the eyes of God, be a servant. So clear, so plain here. If you want high rank, be a slave. What Jesus is saying is that the highest honor to which you can aspire is not occupying a seat of authority, but in serving others. That's where the honor is, in serving. Yeah, when you think about it, that really goes against the grain of our own sinful natures, isn't it? That's the kind of thing we have to struggle against. We have to struggle against the sinful nature in ourselves. But Jesus is saying, this is the way of a disciple in his kingdom. That's the cost. Mind you, a cost, which is a very honorable one, because it does lead to the table. Notice the climax of our text, and this is really where it it lands. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. See that? The name Son of Man. One who humbled himself, the Son of God, who humbled himself to become the Son of Man. You know, God's word reminds us, if you turn to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, 6 through 8, there it says that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He remained God. Notice that. He remained God. He did not let his Godhead go. But what did he let go? He let go of his glory that he had from all eternity. He let go of his status. He didn't hang on to it. He who was with God, the Father from all eternity, through all eternity, what did he do? He took the form of a slave. That's the exact same word that we also see in verse 41 of Mark chapter 10. Sorry, verse 44 of Mark chapter 10. He took the form of a slave. It's more than just servant, but a slave. Born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He let go, brothers and sisters, his glory, his honor. For what purpose? In order to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How did he come to serve? In this way, to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that word ransom, boys and girls, you know what ransom means? Maybe your teachers have taught you what ransom is. I don't know. But ransom is, is really a, a, quite an old word. But it was a very common word in Jesus' day. It refers to someone paying to free a slave. So a slave would be a slave for someone, and someone would come and pay the payment, would pay the price to set the slave free. Well, verse 45 makes clear that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, was himself the price. The price of his own blood that was paid to set you free. He sacrificed himself in the place of and for the benefit of many. He came to be served, he came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why does it say many there? Who are the many for whom Jesus gives the life, his life as a ransom? Well, the many are the people in the shame of their sin. People from every nation, every class, every caste, every color, every race, whomsoever the Lord may call. That is to all who repent and trust in him, he rescues us from our biggest shame ever. And that's the shame that our sin brings and the curse that God puts upon it. There's no greater shame than that shame. And it's that shame that Christ was willing to carry and put on his own back and sacrifice himself for us so that we may receive honor as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. He lifts you up. 
come to him, come to Christ, because he's the one who lifts you up, no matter what your background, who you are. But you come to him in faith. He lifts you up through the cross, and he sets you free from slavery, from a slave to your own honor. And he sets you free to serve and to give yourselves to others. You know, today, the risen Lord is crowned with glory and honor. He did that for us. He's preparing the table. He's setting the table. He's setting it up. Christ bestows honor on you, promising a seat at his table, sharing in his royalty. Do you want honor? Jesus says, honor others. Honor others. How? By serving them. Because in that way you serve Jesus. We can only do that if we have been redeemed from our sins. By coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we know that as as fellow believers, as fellow members in the congregation, yeah, it's also a school of learning for us, isn't it? We're learning what it means. We continue to learn what it means to serve one another, to show honor to one another. It's a continual growing process. When we seek honor from others, you know what happens? It cripples us. It really does. It cripples us from serving others. If we're only thinking about our own honor, it cripples us. Think of this in this way. An egg, we all know what eggs are. An egg has no practical use unless it is first broken. Only then it can serve the human body. Likewise, when our pride is broken by Christ's sacrifice, then we are ready to learn and to grow and reaching out to others, serving others within the body. Because after all, my honor is no longer in myself. I have found a new honor. My honor now is in Christ Jesus, who died and rose for me, who's crowned with glory and honor. That's my position. That's my identity in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? That's liberation. That's freedom. Yeah. But, you know, to, to uh, reflect on the depth of that, what that means. I mean, we need to grow in the awareness of that, the greatness of that, the joy of that. That's a, that's a lifetime process, isn't it? God, having redeemed his people in Christ, calls us now to outdo one another, to outdo one another in showing honor. Think of Romans 12, verse 10. We hear these words. Paul says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. It's the Lord's word to us in Romans. But also the Lord speaks to us through the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, verse 3. He reminds us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Yeah, that's what we're called to exercise. And the Lord gives us strength for that. And daily we come before the Lord, asking him to forgive us. Because we fall far short of that, don't we? But to continue to grow in our love, in our service, and giving honor to one another. That's the way of honor. 
you know, in our even in our time of social distancing, we're so in some ways uh, far apart from each other. You can say at least physically, serving one another can come to a practical expression in so many ways among us as members, doesn't it? Making a simple phone call, mentioning to somebody that you're praying for them, maybe encouraging a fellow member who you know is maybe having a hard time and telling him that or her that. Or maybe by offering some practical help in some way. In our passage, Jesus was training the disciples. He was training them to be leaders in the church. And boy, did they get a big lesson here. Because they were trained, he was trained to be leaders, apostles. He was teaching them to think in terms of a pyramid, but an upside down pyramid, if you can put it that way. No, they're not on the top of the pyramid, but think of an inverted pyramid like this. And they're on the bottom. They're called to be a slave of all in the name of Jesus Christ, submitting to him and to his word. How are they to exercise their authority? By serving. By serving the Christ in accordance with his word. Beloved, God lifts us up through the cross. By his power, by the power of his spirit at work in us, he also enables us to drink the cup of denying self. Of dying to ourselves, of dying to our own worldly honor. Calling us to take up the cross and follow him. You know what? As we serve others, there will be people who don't show gratitude to you. Who don't show thanks. They will hurt you by ignoring you. They may shame you. That's all part of the the cup of suffering. But you remember what Christ endured, the shame he endured because of us, because of our sin, and then what he gained for us, a table, a seat. Remember that, the seat at his table. That's what's promised us. The best is yet to come. A seat at the table with our risen Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, verse 9. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In conclusion, let's return quickly to Jesus' question in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks us the same question. But it's the same question that he asked the blind beggar Bartimaeus if you see the next part of Mark chapter 10, verse 51. We'll see more of that next week. But notice that while James and John were asking for fame, blind Bartimaeus, the beggar, was asking for faith. While John and James were asking for a seat, blind Bartimaeus took up his cross and followed Jesus on the road. How do we answer Jesus' question? He's the Son of Man. He, the Son of Man, reveals the way of true honor, not in serving of self, but in giving of self. To God be the glory for the work of his grace in our lives. And may we seek him by faith. Amen.